I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Mick Beale to my Ian Beale. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Oh, Justin. How's it going? How's the weather back in sunny old England? Is it, is it all right? It's, uh, I mean, here in Cyprus, it's just, you know, you know, 20 degrees. It's nice and calm. You don't need any more reasons as to why people should berate you and abuse you online. So... <laughs> Rubbing noses in it for the good folk of the UK um, isn't isn't going to get you anywhere, and also recycling content is also not going to get you anywhere. Ryan, we've we've used the the be your line already, so get some new fucking content, will you? Well, it's it's just prevalent, all right. And plus, there aren't any other notable members of the Beale family, as far as I'm aware. But I just feel like it's Peter, Peter Beale, Peter Beale, is, is he, he one? I know there was Lucy. But she got yeah, killed off, P- didn't she? Did she? Oh, crikey. I'm behind. Uh, Peter Beale? <laughs> happened like 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think Peter's one. It, was he the kid? He, well, he was a child at some point, but now he's an adult. Now, I think he may have been the one who killed Lucy. Oh, God, I am behind. I'd spoiler alert, we should, we should make that This, this point. did happen 10 years ago, Justin. <laughs> I'm not sure people are still working through the EastEnders episodes and wondering what happens in season 2014. Well, you never know. I, I'm an omnibus guy and I'm on omnibus. I'm clearly on omnibus uh, from 2013. Yeah, I'm, I'm 10 years behind. I'm getting there and you've sported it for me. You've, you've ruined my day. You're recycling content. You're rubbing my nose in it about the weather. God, this isn't great, right. is it? It's not great. I can only apologise, but spoiler alert for 2024, there may be a new addition to the Beale family when Mick Beale's out of work. (laughs) Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, it's been another weekend of championship football. (laughs) There's been plenty for us to talk about, so we're going to definitely talk about Sunderland and Mick Beale, what's happening over there. We will unfortunately have to talk about the incident, the racist incident that's happened at the Coventry Sheffield Wednesday game. Um, We'll also talk about all the other bits of Championship action that's happened over the past few days. I'm also going to have a look ahead to Leicester v Ipswich on Monday night because that is a proper thigh rubber as it gets, as big a thigh rubber as it gets, isn't it, Justin? So we'll have a look ahead to that as well as doing the polls and Simon Grayson's take for late right at the end of the show. So let's kick things off with everything on Friday night and the pressure was cranked up even higher on Mick Beale as Sunderland lost again, this time in a 1-0 defeat at home to Hull. Third loss in a row for Sunderland and the boos after this were absolutely deafening. And he's only been there for seven games, Justin, but as the games go by, it genuinely looks as if Mick Beale may get sacked. 
<laughs> according to fan power yes that is the overriding emotion and feeling um, and look if, if, if Sunderland were on this run of form with say Tony Mowbray or another manager yeah, I think fans will be quite happy to let it slide but the fact that it is Mick Beale it just amplifies the noise the anger even more and I mean rightly so they took a risk appointing a man who walked away from a club in QPR that he just joined literally weeks after say he won't leave um, he you know, said an interview won't leave after rejecting Wolves and oversaw a horrendous recruitment strategy at Rangers, took them backwards, regressed them. Um, and I think one of the things that I'd never appreciated before in, in the context of this appointment is um, a lot of Sunderland fans also follow Rangers. I wouldn't say they're Rangers supporters, but they, they follow Rangers and you know they have an affinity to the club. So they're well aware of Mick Beale and his qualities as a coach and a manager and a, a, you know, a charismatic person. So clearly... They knew a lot more about this appointment than than most supporters would at any other club. Um, and as I say, the, the the good things about this Sunderland team just seem like they're taken away. There's a lack of fearlessness. There's, they're not as free-flowing. They're not as incisive. Where's it all gone? Where's it gone? I think that's a question. Where where is what's Mick what's Mick Bill done with it? It's it's bonkers how how quickly they have regressed over four or five weeks. Yeah, well, it doesn't help when Liam Mazzania, Liam Mazzania is saying after the game that was our worst performance of the season and we yeah. still won. <laughs> I don't think Mick Beale would have thanked him for saying that. But the response from the Sunderland fans tells its own story, doesn't it? The Wise Men Say podcast, which is a Sunderland podcast, they did a poll on whether Mick Beale should be sacked. 92% said yes. Nine in 10 Sunderland fans think he should go already, Justin. But <laughs> this says a lot about the complete and utter disconnect between the club hierarchy and the supporters to this appointment, because it was a strange appointment. You and I sat here and said, why have they done this? Sunderland fans responded with outrage, and there hasn't been enough to indicate that this move was the right one, and we haven't seen anything that shows why Sunderland thought he was the right man for the job. I think a good thing as well, well, not a good thing actually, um, an important thing is something that may remedy um, this poor appointment is, is going out and getting a striker for for this team that needs a striker. I'm not saying that um, Mick Bill should be defended, but you look at this whole game, they they did get a behind hole quite often. They just lacked a bit of presence. They lacked a bit of uh, firepower in the final third. And maybe that's that's exactly what the team needs. Um, but as I say, I'm not defending Mick Bill because I think he's regressed aside quite considerably. And that disconnect is a big thing for for a passionate support base and and Sunderland they've you know a lot of the fans stuck by the club as he dropped down into league 1 they've had to go through a hell of a lot over the past 10 to 15 years the supporters at um, up in Wearside and it's and for for a club to to almost muddy themselves so quickly at board level literally within a space of six or seven weeks um, is, is quite astonishing and they've, they've undone like we said it before undone a lot of the hard work that they, they put in um, and it's going to take a lot again to, to, to rekindle that and maybe just maybe one of the first steps is removing Beal and just admitting okay this wasn't the right appointment and going out and getting someone who's fit for this team because it is bloody talented yeah, it is really talented, Justin. It's for me. It's one of the teams. It's one of the most individually talented teams that there it's is. Ex- it's exciting, is it? It's an exciting squad. It is. So play exciting football, Mick. Come on. Yeah. Well, you've got Jack Clark, Dan Neal, um, Alex Pritchard. These players who are just so individually talented, and they should be as a collective doing a lot better than they than they are. But they're just simply not. And Mick will is clearly showing that he's not the man to get the best out of them with regards to whether he should be sacked or not. I think you've got to look at it this way. Sunderland's goal this season was top six at the absolute minimum. 
and the chances of them doing it with Mick Beale in charge and the fans completely against him as a manager, they're now small. So while it would be obviously harsh to get rid of him after seven games, I think they have to, to save their season because it's much more likely to get worse before it gets better at this stage, isn't it? Well, that's the thing. You're in it. It's quite weird saying, oh, you're in a mode of save the season. Yeah, that's the sort of position you put yourselves in. But it's hard to see them breaking into the top six with McBeal unless something miraculous happens. I.e. He gets the fans on board quickly, the club recru- recruits a striker and the performances start to justify the players that they've got at the club. Um, it just feels like McBeal's just not the right fit. Like You can go out and get a young coach um, who's inexperienced at managerial level. You can go out and, and get someone like that, but they have to be the right fit. They have to play the right style of football. I build on what Tony Mowbray left behind. Tony I think Mowbray the most important to... thing, Justin, I think the most important thing is though getting a manager who the fans believe in. And that well, just yeah. clearly isn't the case here, is it? Well, that's the point I was making. You've got to get you've got to get a lot of things right, um, and one of the things you've got to get right is getting the fans on board. Um, and that's not to say you have to go for a club legend or anything like that. Just don't go for a, a manager who has got history, recent history of in the last twelve months of underwhelming and leaving a club in acrimonious circumstances. So, I think that's the, the big thing there. And the club have really, really shot themselves in the foot in doing that. Yeah, especially when they've got rid of someone like Tony Mowbray, who was doing a good job. Wasn't by any means doing a good job, a bad job at all, was he? So when you do that, you have to get someone in who's an improvement. And Mick Beal has just never looked like that, has he? Uh, a word on Hull, Justin, a great result for them, even if Liam Rosini admitted it was their worst performance of the season. Just two shots all game, kind of backs it up. Uh, it was actually only their second win in eight, but they are still seventh despite that. Just a point of the top six. And you feel as if this victory over Sunderland could be huge for their playoff hopes. It needs to be because uh, looking at their you know their, their recent results, six defeats in ten isn't exactly playoff playoff form, and performances perhaps um, haven't been where they where they need to be to to get to that. It's been a it's been a bit of a rough festive period for them, um, and, and perhaps as well they probably created more in previous games in, in those games that they've lost and not come away with anything, and and they you know go to Sunderland don't create anything, um, barely create anything, and you come away with a win, and it's. Um, you know, it's an important habit to, to, to create when you're pushing for the top six in, in winning, not playing well, but it's not a good habit to, to, to not play well. So um, I think the big thing is they've got, a, they've got a win, they've got a clean sheet, but they do need to improve their performances. They really do. But I think a lot will depend on what they do in the final days of the transfer window. Of course, Fabio Carvalho has come in, which is a huge move, as we know. Croatian goalkeeper Ivor Panda has joined for Matuna Sittard in Holland this week as well. So that's another position they can tick off the shopping list. Reports say they still want a left-back, winger and a striker. Callum Styles of Barnsley has been linked. So he would be a good... In fact, I think it'd be a great addition, a left-back, if that were to happen. So we'll wait and see with the other positions, but it's undoubtedly shaping up to be an exciting last few days of the window because we expect them to be busy and the ambition that they've shown so far is really admirable and it's undoubtedly going to be an exciting second half of the season for Hugs. they're still well in touch with the playoffs aren't they exactly. and they've arguably got a in fact not even arguably they've definitely got a stronger squad than they had at the first half of the season haven't they so yeah all thumbs up from us isn't it uh, Southampton have gone second in the championship it's after winning 3-1 away at Swansea in the Russell Martin derby 21 games unbeaten in all competitions now for Southampton the longest run in the club's history and if they were to avoid defeat in their next three league games they'd have the third longest unbeaten run 
in championship history. Southampton, Justin, are looking and playing like a top two side, aren't they? They are, they really are. I mean, I told you, I said a few weeks back, but you've been so busy and distracted pumping up the jack to replace your tyre on your tractor with your Ipswich tractor going up okay, tractor right. that you've completely forgotten about Southampton. And, and and in that period, in that process, Matt Letizier, Ricky Lambert and I have put on our Tim Foro hats and we've been oh, doing God. the conger all the way up, or have we? Um, so <laughs> I think the, the way they've been, you know, cliche but marching on um, has yes. been admirable uh, it's been admirable and in a setting a new club record of 21 games unbeaten I think is an incredible feat because as I've described in the past the performances in August and September just weren't sustainable 21 games later they're unbeaten and now one of the favourites for the top two it is a turnaround for the ages yeah well it, it has been a turnaround for the ages they have really come on leaps and bounds in the last month and a bit and before they were looking like they were destined to finish fourth, but they've got progressively better and better since then. Because before, what they were doing was just winning games or, you know, getting out a draw from it, grinding out a draw, um, and not really impressing too much. Well, you had the likes of Leicester, of course, miles and away, the best team in the league. Ipswich and Leeds were putting in impressive performances week in, week out. Sure, Leeds had the odd performance here and there where they let themselves down, but you know, they had more stand-up performances than Southampton, whereas Southampton weren't really doing that. They were just Mm -hmm. getting results on the board steadily. And now it's looking like they're the team to beat in terms of getting that second place. Because the first half against Swansea was one of the best performances I've seen from a team all season. Yeah, And the thing is with Saints, their success is mainly down to the collective playing well. Because... There haven't been too many standout performers there who you would pick out and say they've been better than the rest, bar perhaps Adam Armstrong and Cal Walker-Peters, who I am regretting leaving out of our halfway team of the season, by the way, now. (laughs) But by and large, it's been a massive team effort. And what we're seeing is how we hoped the team would perform when Russell Martin came in. I mean, you had your doubts about him at Southampton, Justin, but now he's showing why he is such a highly rated coach because they're playing great football and getting the results too. This is exactly what we hoped Southampton would look like this season. Well, I think that the first half performance against Swansea is exactly what I think many were expecting to happen straight away. Um, and it's not been the case, but I mean, teams opened Southampton up too regularly earlier on in the season. And also Southampton were getting into the final third and not taking their chances when they needed to. That's completely changed. I mean, if it wasn't for Carl Rushworth, Rushworth for example, in the Swansea goal in this game, it could have been five or six... 6-0 at half-time, it was quite ludicrous the amount of times he had to be called upon to to stop Southampton um, getting a goal, essentially. Um, and I think Russell Martin deserves a lot of credit. I'm not going to admit I was wrong because I was right at the time um, because the performances back in August, September weren't sustainable. They were, there was a lot of things wrong with the team. But like I said, it's a turnaround for the ages and consistency in starting 11, the quality of individuals. I mean, Will Smallbone, for example, Looked, I wouldn't say looked hopeless at Stoke last season, but he didn't look like the player that he is this season. He's come on in leaps and bounds, and so too has Adam Armstrong. There's another player that we've talked about quite a lot. So, yeah, Russell Martin, he's, he's, he's really, yeah, he really deserves a lot of praise for what he's done. I will point out, you say you don't want to say that you were wrong, but back in July, you did say you'd rather have Gary Rabbit or Tony Mowbray in charge of your club than Russell Martin. What do you think about yes, that? Yes, 100%. Because my club, my club's going to be made up of Big number nines wanting to play four four two. So naturally, I'm going to want Tony Mowbray and Guy Rout in charge. Okay. We play lump ball. Lump ball, Fine. son. 
fine. The Derby way. Um, it is just three wins in 14 league games for Swansea. It was only Luke Williams' the second game in charge, so he can't be judged much off this showing. But the Swansea fans aren't happy with the club's owners. They were chanting for the American owners to get out of their club. And the sad irony here, Justin, is that Swansea fans were seeing something similar to what they could have had in the form of Russell Martin's Southampton. If he got a bit of backing while he was at Swansea, this is what Swansea fans could be enjoying right now. But he didn't get the backing and now he's gone elsewhere and they're left on their second manager of the season. I mean, you say backing, it's quite an expensive squad at Southampton, so I don't know I don't know who, uh, who you're yeah. thinking. <laughs> yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying Swansea yeah, should yeah, have yeah. broke the bank. I, I'm, I'm to... being facetious, but yeah. you are right. Yeah. Well, you are hang on, right. hang on, hang on. Let me finish my point first. <laughs> I'm not saying Swansea should have gone out there and broke the bank and spend you know, the same level as Southampton, because that would just yeah. be ridiculous. But at the same time, over the last three seasons, Swansea have made around £30 million yeah. from selling players. And in that time, they've spent around £12 million. And a large portion of that has not been spent very well, has it? No, that's the key thing. They've spent a large portion of that time as well. You know, getting the getting things sorted behind the scenes. There's been a lot of turnover in sort of chairman, executives. Uh, that was going to have an impact on the recruitment team and 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 not style of play, but the um, sustain well not sustainability either. But um, I guess the quality and resource that the recruitment team ha- has, and as well the the sort of markets they're batting in. And you go back to Steve the Steve Cooper years. He did very well. Um, dealing with the the, the the squad that he had because he didn't get to go out and freely spend. There was a lot of disagreements. I mean, Corley Woodrow was heavily linked with the club at that point. The club didn't go out and spend the money and he ended up walking. And I think there was the reason why Russell Martin walked because he wasn't being backed. Um, and again, the ironic thing is, similar to the irony that you mentioned, is Southampton and, 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 and the board have probably been the most proactive they've been in the last six months than they have been in their entire tenure. They've gone out and spent money. They, got, they went out and took a risk on Michael Duff, didn't work. They saw it wasn't going to work um, and, and sacked him and, and, and brought in Luke Williams, who's more in keeping with the philosophy of the style of the club. Um, so actually, I'm not defending the owners, but they have been more proactive in the last six months. But I feel like before the six months, that's where the damage has been done because you see the success Russell Martin's having. Well, you say they've been out there and spending more, Justin, but the plan, what's the plan? What is the plan yeah. with this club going forward? I mean, you look at what they did in the summer. They spent um, £6 million on the likes of Jerry Yates, Josh Tymon and Mikhailo Kukarevic. But, I mean, none of them have had really any impact at all. And sure, a lot of the players who... Uh, some of the players who they brought in have done well this season. I'm looking at Carl Rushworth, who even though he's been a bit shaky over the past month and a bit. Um, but, you know... I don't understand what the plan is for Swansea getting in the right direction again. I mean, a good start would have been backing Russell Martin, but they never seemed convinced by him. Mm. And now he's making them look very silly because this is how Swansea could have been. Obviously not, you know, second place with the, with the squad that he's got at his, at his disposal now. But it could have been a lot better than it is now. If it's, a they just... it's a here's what you could have had moment, isn't it? For you know, the success that Russell Martin's having with Southampton. To a degree, it is, but they could have had something that kind of resembles that. Yeah. But now they've got their second manager of the season, the fans frustrated at the owners, telling them to get out of the club. And I mean, they're by no means the worst run club in the championship, but I just don't see what the plan is for Swansea in the long term, because there just doesn't seem to be any plan. Um, 
well, Southampton, their second after their victory over Swansea. And Leeds kept their pressure on them with a 2-1 win at home to Preston. A 94th minute penalty from Joel Pirro. It was given for a handball by Ryan Ledson. Any, any complaints about that, Justine? No, it's definitely handball. It's, it's yeah. unlucky for Ryan Ledson, but it's, it's definitely handball. Yeah, it's only brushed his arm, hasn't it? And I think when it's that late in the game, you've got to be absolutely sure about it. But it was it was handball, wasn't it? Especially with the modern day handball rules. <laughs> so Leeds stay fourth, four points off Southampton. Another team going very well in their hunt for promotion is Coventry City, who made it 27 points from an available 36 after beating Sheffield Wednesday 2-1. That should be the story here, Coventry's remarkable form, but unfortunately it's not, after Coventry's Casey Palmer was racially abused by a fan. The game was paused after he reported the abuse to the referee. Both Coventry and Sheffield Wednesday have condemned the incident, with Wednesday saying the culprit will face the strongest possible sanctions. Palmer himself tweeted on Saturday night to say he's black and proud and racism has no place in the world. Uh, Justin, an appalling incident and embarrassing that it's still happening in this day and age. <laughs> it really is. Uh, I've seen, I, I think a more disappointing thing as well, or, or to further that disappointment is I've seen so many comments or too many comments suggesting Palmer was provoking the crowd. Um, but that's no justification yeah. to racially abuse a footballer, nor is it justification to suggest he deserves to be racially abused either. It's a football match. It's a bloody football match. It's not a life or death situation. Even so, you can't dehumanise someone based on the colour of their skin. Um, and unfortunately, it casts a very dark shadow on the, the game, the, the, the championship and, uh, and the, clubs, the club involved. It's, it's so, so frustrating that it's still happening. Yeah, and I saw those exact same comments from you, from people trying to justify it, Justin. And if if you think that's any sort of justification, then you're simply an absolute moron. It's an appalling incident. And he's been caught red-handed as well, the person who did it, which I'm glad has happened because it will make him very easy to identify and convict. And I hope he gets the book thrown at him, banned from football for life. And that'll be one less racist idiot in football. But on the game itself, Ben Sheaf scored both of Coventry's goals. Not a re- not a regular goal scorer by any means, but he wouldn't have guessed it, guessed it based off his first goal because that was superb, Justin. Yeah, I was um, I was watching Soccer Saturdays. The, the goals were coming in, and, and the way I think it was uh, Rob McNally was describing it, it was just extraordinary. Rob One McNally. Of the goals. Rob McNally. What's Alan McNally. Alan, who's Rob McNally? I, no one's Rob McNally. No you one's made Rob that McNally. Name up. <laughs> I should know this. Playing FIFA for years, and him interrupting the game, saying uh, someone's been injured. But anyway, Alan McNally. The way he was describing it was was pure class, and I'm glad he did because it was like poetry. And then watching the goal back was like poetry. He went full Jake Livermore as well, Ben Sheaf in that doesn't score very. <laughs> often but then just pulls a pelter out of absolutely nowhere it's incredible um but he's a, he's a class midfielder you don't you don't um you don't put him in the category of, of goal scorer but my god that turn and that turn and the, the accuracy of the finish you wouldn't you wouldn't have guessed it it was incredible yeah well for me he's the best all-round midfielder in the division no one else comes close and you know i'm glad that he has scored these two goals because it certainly makes it it uh, gives us a platform to show some shed some light on him even though we've done it on plenty of times this season because I don't think even if we have done it loads of times this season I don't think it's enough because no one else comes close when it comes to all-round midfielders in the division in fact I think only Kinn and Jusby Hall is ahead of him right now in terms of the mm-hmm. best midfielders in the division and I mean Dewsbury Hall shouldn't really be in the championship in the first place but honestly that is how high I rate him because when it comes to winning the ball He's Premier League when it comes to playing the ball. He's Premier League. He is just exceptional. And but if, what about scoring goals? 
Well, scoring goals as well. He's just shown it here, Justin. That's what he's capable of doing as well. But he is just exceptional. And if Coventry do get to the Premier League, which, by the way, is looking more and more of a possibility as the weeks go by, they will not have to worry about getting someone to play in Sheaf's position because he's already made Premier League player. And it honestly does astonish me that there hasn't been more interest in his services. Yeah, Ben Sheaf unsheafed. There we go. What does that mean? I don't know. I just wanted to say it because it felt like because you know he's released the shackles of himself. He's he's scoring goals and he's and he's he's unsheathed. He's doing what he needs to do. Okay. Well, I'll take your word for it on that. (laughs) Uh, Before we take a break, Justin, what did you make of uh, Troy Deeney's comments after his sacking up Forest Green? Of course, didn't go too well for him there. But he said they told me it was because of results. I have trouble believing that. I feel, to a certain extent, I've been used for my contacts and pulling power. Quick reminder that Forrest Green failed to win in any of his six games in charge. But, yeah, maybe he was just used, Justin. What do you think? Oh, yeah, used and abused and sacked. Oh, yeah, it's not because you called out Fankati Darbo for absolutely no reason on, on you know, a live, a, a, an interview. It's not because you've been banned for four games for abusing match officials. You're a tosser, Troy Deeney. You've got an ego... <laughs> You've got an ego bigger than than anyone in world football, and it's not justified either. You know, you, who did he compare himself to earlier on in the season? Who it was Harry it? Kane? Wants it? Yeah, you know, of course. Of course, Harry Kane would. has Harry Kane got a better first touch than him when two players are on his back? No, of course not. Is he a better headerer than Troy Deeney? No, of course he's not, Justin. So what's your point? What is my point? Yeah, my, I, I've I've been rumbled here, and so too has Troy Deeney. You've, fucking fraud honestly um the man the man should not be managing a football club ever again with 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 words like that have some self-awareness you failed take your tonic learn from it go again don't blame the football club the the football clubs are going to put their future at risk are they for six games (laughs) to get a few players in to then sack you think about it troy think about it it's a very good point um, yeah, I, I don't know what's warranted Troy Deeney having this kind of ego all of a sudden, but the man just needs to stay away from a microphone for a while, doesn't he? Because he gets himself in some proper dodgy situations. Like, I mean, the Frank Alti Darbo thing, have we even spoken about it just now? I don't think we, we have, have. but We haven't, it was horrendous. He said there was a kick from, he was a kick from the Premier League and that he couldn't now kick a ball in the National League, which just goes to show the awful man management, which he, he's had as a manager. The player's confidence must be pretty low after the past eight months or so that he's had. So for him to go out and do that and just hang him out to dry, you know, properly throw him under the bus is absolutely shameful. So will we ever see him in a dugout again? I'm not sure. Maybe we will at a very low level, but it certainly won't be in the effort in the effort anytime soon, will it? No, oh, I, I hope not. Um, it, it, there's nothing to justify his ego, not even at managerial level, because he's not done anything, um, and he's not he's not done anything at a playing level since. Uh, what, four or five years now because he's had injury problems and he's not been scoring goals he just hits penalties really hard that's it <laughs> that's what he, that's what Harry Kane doesn't have on him he can't hit penalties as hard as Troy there you go Troy there's your ego piss off okay then well let's take a quick break shall we have that we'll talk about uh, Middlesbrough and Rotherham's one all draw and also we'll have a chat about Errol Bullock's comments at Cardiff Hi, 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. And it's now time for us to check out how our Second Tier Multiple with SBK got on, which included our Game of the Week, as well as Justin and I's two bankers from Friday. We went with Leeds to beat Preston, Millsborough to beat Rotherham and Stoke v Birmingham to beat a draw. So didn't go very well at all. Very nearly was an absolute nightmare on our behalf with no selections coming in until Leeds bailed us out with that Joel Pirro penalty right at the death. But we'll be back again as the season goes on with more multiples in our preview shows with SBK as the season goes on. So stay tuned for that. Let's talk about one of those games that let us down right now. Middlesbrough won Rotherham won in two games against Rotherham this season. Middlesbrough have drawn one all and lost one nil. Across those two games, Middlesbrough have had 35 shots, scored one goal. Rotherham have had three shots on target and scored two. And they have really shit the bed in those two games, haven't they? They really have. I think Liam Richardson's just sat in his, I don't know, tower just with a Dick Dassley moustache going, <laughs> if I'm going to do anything this season getting relegated is I'm going to ruin a season for another club. And my God, is he... Managed to do his best to do that with Borough. Um, it's quite impressive, actually, those stats, because I think saying that Borough have shit the bed, I think it's quite harsh, um, because owing to you know, issues of Borough converting chances, it's more so to do with that than it's Rotherham being, being the problem. It just so happens it comes against Rotherham. The fact that I was completely unaware of I should have been aware of it, but Borough have just scored 15 goals at home, for example, this season. It's the third lowest, joint third lowest in the division with Huddersfield mm-hmm. and Sheffield Wednesday. But creating is not a problem. You look at the XG, if you like a bit of XG, they're the eighth most creative team in the division at home. So for me, it's just what happens when you don't replace two prolific forwards in Chubrak, Pom and Cameron Archer. You, you don't convert chances. Well, it certainly helps converting chances, doesn't it? But I think this game is a prime example of why they need an excellent last few days of the transfer window if they are going to get in the top six. Because, look, Coventry absolutely flying right now. West Brom have, by and large, been the most consistent side outside of the top four and Hull are looking to have a real go of it this window as well when Middlesbrough seem like they're three or four players short at the moment mainly going forwards they have been linked with plenty of players so we should expect them to be active it's just about whether they can get that business over the line but they will be absolutely kicking themselves if it comes to the end of the season and they miss out on the playoffs by five points or less because they will look back at those two games against Rotherham and say well those were two games that we unquestionably should have won. That's what I mean. And Liam Richardson at the end of the season is going to be sat in his tower twiddling his moustache saying, <laughs> that's what it's going to be. Um, because they, they, they should have won. And, it, and sometimes it's football. I mean, you score of a cross in the reverse fixture with Cohen Bramall um, and then Victor Hansen masterclass. And then you, you create as many chances or have as many shots and goal as you do and you don't, you don't take them. Sadly, you... you 
don't deserve to be in the top six. As simple as that. It's, it's going to be an opportunity missed, but they've missed a lot of opportunities to miss the big opportunity, if that makes sense. And it pays to put chances away. It certainly does. And will Borough bring in that man who will put the chances away? We'll find out in the final few days of the transfer window. But they potentially could lose players as well. One of them might be Morgan Rogers, who's rather bizarrely been attracting great interest from Aston Villa. And just, and I don't know about you, I, I don't understand this at all. Have have Villa been watching a different player this season? I think you're being quite harsh on him, to be honest with you. He's got 14 goal contributions in all competitions this season, which is actually quite an impressive return for someone who still is quite a rough diamond for me. He's 21 years old. And don't get me wrong, he's not pulled up trees this season. So it is a surprise to see one of the... Uh, the title chasers come in for him, shall we say. That's what I mean. That's what I mean, Justin. If you were Aston Villa, or if you were any Premier League club, for example, would you sign Morgan Rogers? I, um, if I'm a football club who's trying to do business a little bit different to the other top clubs, i.e. not spend a boatload of money on 25-year-olds who are going to cost a lot of money, if I'm, go- if I'm going to spend my money anyway, it's going to be on a player who's a quite a rough diamond, fits a similar profile to someone like Ollie Watkins, and he's someone who I can probably turn into Wally Watkins in the future. You are, so. really, you are really going on a stretch here, aren't you? <laughs> it's, yeah, but it's true though, isn't it? It's true because from a profile point of view, he's quite similar to Wally Watkins. He, he can play in off the left. He can play as a central player. He's quite versatile. He just hasn't had many games. I think that's the key thing. He's, at tw- he's 21 years old and he's not played as many games as he probably should have by now. Um, so we, we don't know if he is that good or not. But look, if you don't want to spend £11 million on him, which is a tattered fee, then, then let him. Are you, are you being serious? You're trying to justify that fee for Morgan Rogers, who's just not really done much at all this season. I, I think it is worth remembering he is 21 and he still has loads of potential. So he's not a lost cause by any means. And it was only three years ago that he was playing in the same Lincoln side as Brennan Johnson and arguably outperforming him when he when he came in anyway. But since then, he's had two loan spells in the championship, not pulled a penny trees there. And then he moved to Middlesbrough in the summer, just gone for what's thought to be around a million pounds. So you'd have thought if Villa are after him, he must have been playing exceptionally well. But he hasn't. He hasn't stood out to me at all this season. Middlesbrough haven't been great going forwards, but I wouldn't say he's even been their best attacker. The only thing I can think of here is, are they mixing Morgan Rogers up with Morgan Whitaker? Because it would make a lot more <laughs> sense if that was the case. And the other thing is, I find the move even more puzzling when Villa had Jaden Philogene and Cameron Archer on their books less than six months ago, who for me are much more talented players and are certainly much more proven at this level. So I just can't get my head around this. And it's one of the most random transfer sagas I've ever seen for a championship player. But if you are uh, Steve Gibson, for example, you're saying, actually, yeah, go on in. Because you can say you just turned a million pounds into 10 plus million pounds in the space of six months. And not only that, but it's also a, a kudos to Michael Carrick and the manager you've got there. Because when it comes to maybe another club poaching him, you can say, this is what he does, pay us a bit more compensation. I think it's great business for Middlesbrough. And you will agree. Well, I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying it's, I'm yeah, not, yeah, saying yeah, it's yeah. not great business for Middlesbrough. It's if just, I was Middlesbrough, I'd be ripping Villas hand off. <laughs> <laughs> Give us the pen and your hand, please. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's just, it is a strange one. It's, it's come out of nowhere. But like I said, I think profile-wise, he, he fits something similar to Wally Watkins. Um, and that's maybe where where they're thinking this. Whereas Jaden Philogene wanted first-team football, Cameron Archer needed first-team football and they got a decent fee for him. And they've got buyback clauses on both of those players. So I think that's where those two transfers sit in, in relation to this one. And they might do the same with Morgan Rodgers in a year's time. We don't know. 
I just cannot understand it at all. And even if he does go, I'd be very surprised if he plays any football, really. It'll probably be back on loan again to a championship club if, if he does go. But yeah, I'm certainly surprised about the fee as well, because that's, that's made my eyes fall out of my head. And on Rotherham, by the way, this was just their fourth point on the road this season. So they'll definitely take that, considering how abysmal their away form has been. Plymouth got their first league win under Ian Foster by beating Cardiff 3-1. By the way, they've scored more goals at home this season than any other side in the championship. Just think about their budget compared to the likes of Leicester, Southampton, Leeds for a sec. What a stat that is from a Plymouth perspective. But they're up to 15th now after this result, despite fears from some on this podcast that they could be in a relegation <laughs> battle after Ian Foster's appointment. So he's very happy, his old Ian. Uh, someone who's not very happy at all is Cardiff boss Errol Bullard. He's been calling for the club to make signings for weeks now. And then after the game, he said, I have to maybe make a decision for myself on how my future will go with the club because I came here to change some things in a positive way. From my side, I can tell you some things have to change. If not, it is not possible to continue like that. And when asked what has to change, he said everything. So it sounds as if, Justin, he could walk if he isn't happy with the final week and a bit of the transfer window. Could have told you this, Errol. We could have told you this eight months ago when you got appointed. We knew this. Um, Cardiff's not, Cardiff don't change overnight. They've been a terribly run club for a long time. Um, so surely you would have known, you'd have had some context coming to the job. Obviously, they had the transfer embargo, which didn't help things. And they've been marine a tight ship for a very long time. Um, they're not going to change in a January transfer window. And I'm not criticising you, but I do agree with you. There needs to be a lot of changes at Cardiff, but some foresight needs to be needs to be brought in here. You, you're wanting the club to go out and spend excessively, not excessively, but spend in January, where transfer values are amplified and, and, and tripled, tripled and quadrupled. They, you know, players are more expensive than what they would be in the summer. It's just not sustainable. You've got to have some realism about it and you've got to do better with your squad because at the minute you've lost eight. Um, lost eight in 14. Won four, just, uh, won four of those games in the 14 as well. It's, it's, results haven't been good enough. Performances haven't been good enough. You need to be doing better with what you've got. But the club also does need to back you. But it's not going to happen overnight. Simple. I appreciate you talking directly to Errol Bullitt himself as if he's listening to the podcast. He's a, um, he's, he's a firm listener. We know this. Um, is he? I, actually, yeah, I shouldn't, shouldn't mislead people. We don't know this. We don't know if he's a firm listener, but he could be. He needs context on the championship, so why not listen to the biggest championship show in the country? Well, I, I just appreciate it that you're speaking to him like he's on the podcast right now. Instead, it's like you were talking to Errol Bullitt. I wouldn't say it to him either. I think that's the key thing. If he was here, I would not be saying this. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I'm a pussycat. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> but look, he, he has done a great job so far. Much better than I ever expected. But for me, um, the squad isn't very strong. So I, I do get his frustration. It clearly needs additions, particularly going forwards. And Bullets made that very clear. So we've seen more players leave than actually come in at Cardiff. So it's no wonder that he's frustrated. I think that is understandable. And I imagine they will bring players in in some form before the window closes. But it depends how much is he asking for here. That's the question, isn't it? So it'll be very interesting to see how this all pans out. As things stand, they're only five points ahead of 20th. So it could be a very slippery slope if this all goes wrong, if they don't do enough business before the end of the window and bullet walks. 
It's it's not out of the out of the question. I mean, he's coming across as very outspoken, and he's very outspoken. He's a very passionate guy, and I think that's great because I think Cardiff fans needed that in a manager because you know Sabri Lamushi was was good at that. The Christmas just risen with with appointments that they've made over the past few years. Neil Harris didn't really have it. Steve Morrison was a bit. Yeah. So too was Mark Hudson and Lamushi bedded that in, and and and, and bullets come in and 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 really sort of inspired the support, which is what you need. Um, but unfortunately, as we well know, the club is poorly run, um, and if things don't change at the top, like Bullet is suggesting, then they they could be in a relegation battle next season because that is the trend of clubs who aren't run successfully or even moderately um, adequately. That is the trend that they go. They, they they trend downwards. We've seen it at QPR. We've seen it at Reading. We've seen it at Derby. They trend downwards. Big changes needed. QPR got their first win in nine games by beating Millwall 2-0. A huge victory for Rangers. They've got the Marty Party back on track by playing some backstreet boys. Never fails to get the party going again, does it? But they badly needed this, didn't they? Because there wasn't much inspiration to be had, was there? It was looking like things were you know, really flatlining for QPR. If we're talking about inspiration, Steve Cook and Jake Clark sold defensively. They were they were inspirations. The way they defended at times was exceptional. So too Reggie Cunning. I mean, the moment he cleared the ball off the line uh, at some point in the game was was exceptional. And you know, that's the that's the, what that's you know, it's the sort of performance and, and and manner of performance that really does inspire. You know, supporters because then the mood I saw on social media yesterday was incredible it's such a vast turnaround uh, to what has been the case over the last few weeks so you know credit to Marty Sifuentes for doing that as well credit to him for playing Lyndon Dykes in midfield as well a bit like Joel Linton Joel Linden if you like let's go with that Joel Linden there we go um well, considering they had only won two points from their previous seven league games, it's surprising that this result was actually fairly comfortable. Apart from the you know, clearance off the line, Millwall didn't offer much at all. So it was really quite reminiscent of how QPR were playing during their good start mm-hmm. under Sifuentes. So it's a huge three points in many ways, particularly because if they win their next game, they'll climb out at the bottom three. Wow. And that's because they're playing Huddersfield next weekend, which is a gigantic game isn't it? So heading into there after a win will do them the world of good because it was looking pretty bad up until this weekend. And now they are just potentially one game away from being outside of the bottom three, which would be one hell of a turn for the books. I mean, still a long way to go in the season, but, you know, it was looking pretty bad for QPR, wasn't it? So that'll be quite the quite the turnaround in such a short amount of time, wasn't it? And the final game we'll discuss from this past weekend, Justin, is Bristol City 1, Watford 1. Not a huge amount to write home here, but, you know, Scott Twine scoring on his debut, that was nice for him. However, that moment was hijacked by Watford goalkeeper Ben Hamer's slapstick comedy dive. What was he doing, Justin? <laughs> It was like uh, it reminded me of pro clubs back in the day on FIFA, didn't it? Where you just where you're trying to control the keeper and you've got no idea what you're doing. I mean, fair play to him; he's been fantastic for for Watford over the past few weeks. But <laughs> it reminded me of how goalkeepers dive in terrible films about football. Yeah, you know how, it, yeah, how they yeah. never have the technique right to these goalkeepers. But that was that was a good example of uh, how they usually do it. And then I watched it in slow motion as well. The ball is miles over the line by the time he starts diving. So I just have no idea what he was thinking. It was like your internet connection, Justin. It was just so delayed. It was horrendous. Hey, ben Hamer never gives up. but You can't hold that against him. He never gives up. So um, let's not criticise him too much. He showed, he showed more character than many a team in this division this season. Okay, well, that, that's one way of looking at it, I suppose. <laughs> the final championship match of this game week is a huge one. 
It's the clash on Monday night between Leicester and Ipswich, the two teams who have been first and second for the majority of the season. So it doesn't get much bigger than this really, does it? And I don't know about you, Justin, I'm heading into this one thinking if I was an Ipswich fan, I would be very happy with a point. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just looking at the table now and they are level on points with Southampton who have got a better goal difference um, than them. And obviously, if they get a point, they, they, they eclipse Southampton and go back into the top two, which is a, which is big for morale. It's big for um, you know confidence as well. So getting a point against Leicester, who have won 21 games this season out of 27, would be an incredible, incredible feat, especially with the, the players that Ipswich have got available to them. They are lacking numbers um, and they are lacking form so it's going to be a big big ask going um, or playing Leicester and, and, and getting a win so you take a draw and hope for a win I think that's the, the mentality you go into that game with yeah and the thing is as well Ipswich's away form hasn't been great this season has it well certainly not in comparison to their home form which has been absolutely divine all season so if they manage to get a point and anything else is a bonus at Leicester then that is just huge for them, isn't it? And yeah. as you say, gives them that point advantage over Southampton. And then hopefully a bit further down the line, they can get that striker in and then have a good crack at actually finishing in the top two for the remainder of the season. So that's how I would certainly be heading into it as an Ipswich fan. You know, they are coming up against one of the best teams we've ever seen at Championship history. So with that being said, I mean, even if they weren't, you know, the team that has been just above them, for most of the season. I think you still got to take it without the context and just say, look, anything from this is a massive, massive result. And plus Leicester are fantastic at home, aren't they, Justin? Yeah, they they are. I think the only thing that Ipswich can, can hope is they capitalise on Leicester's usual sluggishness in the first half if they can go out and get a goal and make the crowd nervy um, and then defend resolutely in the second half then maybe they can bring something away from it but yeah Leicester are, are an incredible side at this level we know that they're incredible at home they score a lot of late goals as well so it's going to be a tough fixture for Ipswich but again like um, like Coventry last week if they can go and get a result it will be a, a result that makes the rest of the division stand up and go right we're, gonna, we're still taking you seriously yeah and maybe they'll look at that Coventry game and say this is how you harm Leicester um, but I think from an Ipswich perspective now at one point, they may have been looking at Leicester's results and you know keeping an eye on them to see how that helps with their promotion mm. battle. But I think at this point, Ipswich just have to cast Leicester aside and admit that they're too far out of reach and just try and you know match punches with Southampton and just do what they can in that respect. So if they manage to get a point here, that leaves them a point ahead. And that's a very good position for Ipswich to be in at this point of the season, isn't it? Justin, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Should Sunderland give up on Mick Beale already? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, they have to. It's, uh, it's a doomed romance. It needs to end. Yeah, it's only seven games in, but you just get the sense that it's much more likely to get worse than better, isn't it? So, mm. yeah, I would also agree. It seems harsh, but I, the fans aren't on board, are they? And it's going to be very yeah. hard to turn that ship around. So 67% of people agree with us. 33% said no on that front. Another manager-themed question for you here, Justin. Who would you rather have in charge of your club? Enzo Maresca? Or Russell Martin? Uh, I think Russell Martin. I think he's got more... Um, there's more behind him. We know what he can do with teams in the Championship, whereas Maresca's still raw. He's got a very good squad, whereas Russell Martin's 
done okay at MK Dons. He's done well with the circumstances at Swansea. And he's gone in at Southampton and he's said, I can do it at Southampton with bigger resources as well. Whereas Moresk has gone into a very good team, done what you, exactly what you expected of him. And that's it. So for me, it's Russell Martin and the hair as well. <laughs> well, he has got very nice hair. We'll give you that. Uh, 53% of people said Russell Martin. 47% said Enzo Moresca. Mm. I will say that even though, admittedly, that Leicester squad is ridiculously talented and probably one of the best we've ever seen at this level, for them to still be winning the league at a canter like they are, I think, deserves a lot of credit. So I would probably just go for Maresca, but I, it's hard to say at this stage, isn't it? Because yeah. it's Maresca's first season as a manager. Well, first season in this country as a manager. He was at Palermo before, once he but uh, I would maybe just go for Maresca based off how well he's got this Leicester team playing this season. Takes takes a good manager to knit it all together, doesn't it, Justin? Um, And the final question is this. Do you like cats, yes or no? I don't like them. I don't dislike them. I'm indifferent on cats. I'm a dog guy. They're just cats, aren't they? You know what I mean? They're just cats. That is absolutely fine, Justin. They are just cats. 51% of people said no. 49% said yes. So a close one. The reason I ask that is because... In Cyprus, they've got a major stray cat problem. And and so what happens is you go out onto the street and you'll just see cat after cat after cat. Like, for, for example, we did a 30-minute walk yesterday and uh, we saw, I think, 20 cats um, in that time just randomly strolling around the streets. And they've got so many signs as well in Cyprus saying, do not feed the cats. That's how much of an wow. issue it is. Is it, is it an issue or you or do you think it's an issue? Do you, you know, are these cats happy? No, or no, no. You... It's, a, it's a major issue here. The, the cats, some issue, of them wow. looked a bit skinny and I saw quite a few in bins and what have you, but it, it just got Wait, me what? thinking about... Yeah, yeah. Not, not not like, you know, like dustbins and they were hunting for stuff. That oh, kind of fucking thing. hell. Trying, I thought you meant... No, Jesus, people that took were a turn. putting them in bins. That took no. a turn. <laughs> Jesus, Ryan. Uh, but I was looking at a lot of them and just thinking, oh, this is, this is quite sad. And if anyone wants a cat, then Cyprus is clearly the place to go. Go to Cyprus for a cat, guys. Good stuff. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon, Grace and Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So I'm going to ask Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I would say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs and he would say Villa, that's one down. Then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin were to then say Weymouth, he would lose a life. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers without losing all of his lives. And you can get involved in the fun by sending in your Hateful Eights for either Justin and I to answer. Send them into secondtierpod at gmail.com and you could get a shout out the next time we do a Hateful Eight. Alternatively, just play along at home and let us know how many you get. Um, This one is by someone called Johnny, who actually sent this in a few days ago. Um, But I feel like it's even more, you know, prevalent after this week's events. Because as you may recall, Emilio Ensue scored the first (laughs) hat-trick of the African Cup of Nations in 16 years. Still sounds obscene to be saying that, but he was, of course, best known for being part of that promotion-winning Middlesbrough side of 2015-16. So Johnny has asked Justin, can you name for me the eight players who made the most league appearances in that side? I'm going to give you three lives on this one because it is a tricky one, but go ahead. Can you name for me the eight players who made the most league appearances in that side? Uh, I talk, Aranka. Um, Dimi Constantopoulos. 
absolutely correct. He played every game that season for Middlesbrough, so is top of this list. And that is one down. Georgie Friend. Georgie Friend is seventh on this list, so he's only Cow. just snuck on, Justin. Yeah, he only cost £100,000. Proved to be an excellent bit of business, but yeah, he made the seventh most appearances that season. So you have six to go, three lives remaining. Trying to think who they uh, who they signed. They signed Dave Nugent, didn't they? Um, and he only scored about eight goals, but I think he was used quite often because uh, that's you know that's what Dave Nugent does. So I'm going to say Dave Nugent. Dave Nugent, it's good, but it's not good enough, I'm afraid. Dave Nugent was ninth in the uh, players who made the most league appearances in that side. He finished as top scorer that season, only got eight. Yeah. But he was uh, two appearances short of making this list. Um, so that is one life down. Six names to go, Justin. Grant Ledbetter. Ledbetter, Ledbetter. Grant Ledbetter. Yes, he is fifth on this list. A brilliant player was old Ledbetter. Um, so that is correct. You've got five players remaining, Justin. Two lives left. Ben Gibson. Ben Gibson is good. It's very good, ladies and gentlemen. He is eighth on this list. So you've just snuck on Justin Middlesbrough, born and bred. Uh, eighth most appearances in that 2015-16 promotion winning side. So you're halfway there. Two lives remaining. It's looking all right for you, Justin, at the moment. I can't think who uh, played centre-half with him. Um, he's going to bug me now. Uh, I want to say, I don't think Adam Forshaw was... The other central midfielder, I think it was Adam Clayton. So I'm going to say Adam Clayton. Adam Clayton is correct. He is third on this on this list. Only missed three games that season. So that is correct. So you have three left, Justin. When did Patrick? When was Patrick Bamford there? It wasn't that season because he had finished top goal scorer. So I think it was a season before. So I'm not going to say Bamford. Um. Albert Adoma. Albert Adoma is very good. The ageless Uncle Albert made the fourth most appearances that season. Uh, he started the fewest games on this list, but made a few appearances off the bench. So he is fourth. That means you've got two remaining, Justin Peach. You say Nugent wasn't on the list? Yes. Kike. Kike is also not on yeah, the list. He about front. <laughs> um, so that is another life down I'm afraid I haven't even written how many appearances Kike made in that team because he's quite a way off being on this list so that is another life down Justin meaning you've only got two left do you, do you want a hint? I, no 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 okay. no Daniel you sure? Daniel Ayala are you sure you don't want a hint? <laughs> fine I did mention one of these players in the intro to this question Great, I can't remember. <laughs> Who scored the hat-trick in the African Cup of Nations? Oh, Emilian Sue. Exactly, I'd, Justin. I'd, I'd never have said him. I'd never have said him because he wasn't He wasn't fantastic. Oh my God, is he on there? He made the six most appearances that season. He's the reason why we asked this question and I'm glad Justin got there eventually with that one. You've got one player left, Justin, and he's the player who made the second most appearances that season. Yes. It's got to be Daniel Ayala, hasn't it? Surely. Daniel Ayala. That's Justin's final guess here, ladies and gentlemen. 
and he made the tenth most appearances <laughs> that season. The player you were, you were looking for, Justin, and I think you're probably going to kick yourself with this one. He only missed one game all season. It was Stuart Downing. I completely forgot he had that spell. Yeah, that, I couldn't that's think fair. of. I couldn't think of any wide players um, apart from Adoma. And Downing, yeah. his second spell was completely passing by because he didn't really do a lot. Uh, he, he was very good, wasn't he? But he wasn't maybe playing as well as a. It was in you know, the crank you'd expect side. Stuart Downing to do. Yeah, it was in that crank side, in it, and they weren't exactly swashbuckling, were they? They were very defensive, very very defensive. Yeah, they were. They were. I'll let you off for that. But unfortunately, Justin, you've fallen foul to Simon Grace and Tate Flake. You need to scratch up a bit more on your Middlesbrough promotion winning sides. So that's a bit of homework for you in the future. But there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's been Simon Grace and Tate Flake. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. And we'll be back again on Thursday for our usual midweek episode where we'll be reviewing two games in the championship that's Leicester v Ipswich on Monday night as well as Leeds v Norwich on Wednesday night so that is coming up and we'll also of course do any transfer business which has happened over the coming days so we look forward to seeing you then but this has been the Second Tier Podcast I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach and a big thank you for listening Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.